0: I also want to say good morning uh, to each of you that are here in the room, and also to each of you who are watching online. It is so good to be uh, together, however we are together, whether it's physically in the room or connected through technology. uh, The Spirit of God is here among us. The Spirit of God is there with you, and so we're just really thankful. I'm wearing my Palm Sunday shirt today, right? So I'm waving all the time, and so uh, this is a great day. And uh, last week we had Chandra, she was finishing off the Sermon on the Mount a section of this Kingdom Culture series. And so the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been talking about, is that section in Matthew of Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And so... Chandra brought a conclusion to that part of the uh, Kingdom Culture series, and uh, now we're going to jump ahead, as we talked about early on uh, in this series, we said we're going to move around a bit, and so now we're going to jump ahead to Matthew 21 today, and we're going to look at that text, and I encourage you to turn there, we'll come back to that, Jody read it already this morning, or parts of it, and uh, and then next week we're going to jump ahead again, and we're going to go to Matthew 28, and we're going to look at the resurrection story, as that pertains obviously to Easter Sunday. And then after that, we'll circle back, and we'll go back to Matthew 8, and we'll pick up this Kingdom Culture series from there. Still with me? It'll all make sense. It's, uh, it'll be great. And so that's a bit of the plan. So as I mentioned, Jody read uh, in Matthew 21, uh, verses 1 to 11, and, and kind of the key text that gives a picture of this day many years ago, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and it's this event that has become known as Palm Sunday. And it is a remarkable event where there are crowds of people, all kinds of people who come with all kinds of different backgrounds and perspectives, but they are coming together to celebrate. And for those of you who grew up in the church, it's maybe a very familiar story. Uh, For those of you who maybe didn't grow up in the church, maybe it's not that familiar a story and maybe it's a little bit confusing or you have questions. And if so, you're in good company. Uh, and I think it's one that, again, for all of us to come back and revisit and ask uh, questions of, but then also to allow the text to examine us. And that's what we want to do today uh, as well. So I wonder if you've been in a setting where you've been a part of a large crowd, okay? Now, I know that that hasn't happened for at least a year, uh, where you haven't been together in a large crowd, and so we're, some of us are missing that. But I think back to large crowds, like maybe it was something like Palm Sunday, and I think back to 2004— Stanley Cup playoffs, Calgary Flames are playing, playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's in the Stanley Cup finals, actually. And I was at one of the games in Calgary that Calgary won. And if you remember, there was something that happened after the games in Calgary known as the Red Mile. And people would spill over onto 17th Avenue, and there would be tens of thousands of people that would gather in that setting and celebrate. And my brother and I, who were at this one game, we thought, let's experience this. And so we flow out of the the arena, and we go down 17th Avenue, and we are literally pressed in with like, se- like thousands and tens of thousands of people, and pretty soon, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I think I've had enough. I think this is a little bit much, and we kind of finally wedged our way to the outside of the flow of things and just kind of circled around and got out of there, so that's one memory I have. I don't know what memories you have, and again, we don't have ones that are recent, But this was a day on Palm Sunday that was filled with crowds. All kinds of people who came with all kinds of different ideas of what the day was about. And so there was palm branches and people were waving them and they did that for certain reasons and we'll get into that. There was people who laid their cloaks down on the road because it was a a symbolic of actually a victorious king and it was of submission And so those people were giving a considerable sacrifice because for many of them, this would be the only cloak that they had. And so now they were laying it down and and you can bet that they probably wouldn't ever see that again as it was trampled on by the crowds and, and the crowd just kept moving on. And so it was a day that people were showing an allegiance to the king. Or for some, they were just joining in the celebration, not exactly sure what it was that they were even joining. And so it was a day and an event that I know had many conflicting perspectives on it. And each person that was there had a mixture of emotions, I'm sure, including Jesus, which we also see in the story. And so we might rightfully ask, well, what relevance does this story have for us today? What, what impact does it have for us personally? How does it relate to our lives? And it's fair, uh, a fair question, but let me give at least three reasons, and there are many, about why this is a significant day for us. First of all, it sets in motion this uh, week that is ahead of us, which is known as the Holy Week or the Passion Week. And and so it it sets in motion, Palm Sunday does, this series of events that uh, unfold before us. And Kevin's going to explain a little bit later. Throughout this week, there's a number of videos coming out that allow you to enter into the story, and I'd encourage you to do that each day. and, And read even those texts between the Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday accounts but it's a it's a week that literally changed the world and it's a week that changed your life and my life probably in more ways than we recognize and so Jesus he teaches about the kingdom in this week and he's proclaiming and ushering in the kingdom but also in the beginning of this incredible week it's it's pointing ahead the fact that he is concluding the primary purpose of his earthly mission he's preparing his disciples for his departure He's encouraging them to await and to know the Holy Spirit that he's going to give them. And he's entrusting them with this movement of God, of God's kingdom, to establish the church and bring this message of God, of redemption to all humanity. It's quite a remarkable week. And it culminates next weekend as we remember his most horrific death. And then Jesus overcoming death itself and rising from the tomb And being the risen Savior. And it predicts and it fulfills so many things that people spoke about, including Jesus. But things that probably so few expected. And so when somebody tells you that they'll be killed and that they'll rise up again, uh, you kind of sit up and take notice. Especially when they actually do it. Especially when it actually happens. That's the kind of king that a person would want to follow. And so that is all part of this week that is set in motion on Palm Sunday. And Jesus ushers that in, and this day that we remember is one that begins that. So a second reason that this Palm Sunday event is significant, I think, for us, for people today and for those people at that time, is that it's a day that, that signals this fulfillment of so many things that Matthew was speaking of. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, we've talked about the fact that he often teaches and he outlines and explains things that were prophetic words uh, spoken centuries ago, and now we're coming to fulfillment. And here in this Palm Sunday event, we see the similar thing happening, where Matthew is showing again that there are events that are happening in this Palm Sunday event that are fulfilling what the prophets spoke about long ago. And so here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and he is fulfilling the prophet, priest, and king, and all of these things that, that have been proclaimed about him so many centuries preceding this. Prophets are those who speak about God and they also declare God's will for his people. Priests are those who represent Israel before God, seeking the forgiveness of sins. And a king is what the people longed for, of somebody to lead them in victory. And in all of these things, Jesus brings them to fulfillment. And he points to a very different kind of kingdom because he's a very different kind of king. If you go back to 1 Kings in the Old Testament and you read in 1 Kings, which which talks about the different kings of that time, there's a parallel story in there in uh, chapter 1, verse 39, and it says this, Then they surrounded the ram's horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon, they said. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. And their celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. And it's like it's this parallel story of of King Solomon so many centuries earlier. And then if you read in Zechariah 9, verse 9 to 10, it, it points ahead to this image of a king riding on a donkey. And it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. So here on this day, in the city of Jerusalem so many years ago, was this event that was happening that was bringing to fulfillment these words that had been spoken so many years earlier. And for the Jewish people in the crowd, which were most of them probably, they were ones who, if they grew up in the faith, and if they had had, you know, parents who taught them, which they likely did because they were part of an oral tradition, and so people would pass on from generation to generation these prophetic words and these oral traditions of what their faith was all about, and they would have known this story that was proclaimed in Zechariah. They would have even known the story that was spoken of about King Solomon entering into Jerusalem. And so it was the fulfillment of all of these things. So it's a significant day. It proves the the truth and the reality of God's story as we see the connectedness of things from way in the past into a modern day context for them at that time. And then thirdly, this event is significant because we can actually see ourselves in the story. We can see ourselves in the story if we look closely and if we're actually honest with where we are in the story We could see our modern-day culture in this story. At this time, there would have been a lot of people who were disillusioned by religion and, and wondering what this organized religion was all about, and yet they were intrigued by Jesus and saying, okay, who is this Jesus, even as we see in the text? And even in our current culture today, we see the very same things happen. People are disillusioned with organized religion, and yet they wonder and they're intrigued, and they say, who is this Jesus? And they're drawn to him in different ways. And so some were praising the king of this new kingdom, but the religious leaders were nervous. Some people just liked the crowds and they wanted to be there to experience the excitement and maybe cause some more. And others were simply confused and wondering what was going on. As it says in verse 10, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And as he entered it, they said, who is this? And so they had questions. We can also see our modern church culture in this story And what I particularly mean by that is that if we look close, we see that we also have a tendency, just like these people, to place our own expectations, our own lenses, our own biases, our own agendas on Jesus, just like they did. And you get a sense of that in this story, that people were probably there with lots of different motives. And even for each one of us, as we we seek to follow Jesus within the church, we often have our own different motives, our own perspectives, our own lenses, our own biases, our own agendas that we... Maybe verbalize or aware of, and maybe we're not, but they're there. For some, it's all about right theology and a certain kind of teaching. For others, it's all about justice and racial reconciliation. For others, it's about more gifts of the Spirit and freedom of worship. For others, it's all about global missions. For others, it's all about local missions and reaching your neighbors. For others, it's about the poor and the marginalized. For others, it's about sexual orientation and gender. For others, it's about simple living and abandoning consumerism and materialism. For others, it's about right leadership structures in the church. For others, it's about standing up to the government and fighting for our rights. For others, it's about blending in and not making any waves. For others, it's resisting any change in the church and wanting it to go back to the way it was. For others, it's about the church being completely different and not ever being the same again. You get the point. I mean, you could fill in the blank. But but we all tend to do that, right? Like, if we're honest. Like, we all have biases. I often say to people with this whole idea of hidden agenda, well, I don't have a hidden agenda, I have a very obvious agenda. And, and so here's the agenda, and so you talk about it. I think it's, we need to be honest with our agendas. But we tend to make our thing the whole thing. Just like they did at that time. We might be loud and shouting it out. Wanting a particular kind of king, or maybe... We just kind of do it quietly, bringing conflict and confusion to the message and the mission of the church. And I think no wonder Jesus wept. You know, so many people were expecting a conquering military leader. They were expecting somebody who was going to come into Jerusalem and totally turn upside down this Roman Empire. And in similar ways, we have people who have... Similar expectations of Jesus and the church today. And yet Jesus comes in with a sacrificial ministry of reconciliation where he went a completely different direction. The palm branches apparently give indication of Jewish nationalism that was also mixed in with their praise. We see that happening today as well. And yet Jesus knew their nationalistic ambitions and their fickle hearts. And not only does he weep for them, but he dies for them. So this was not the military triumphal king and leader that they were necessarily looking for. Jesus was about to triumph over the real enemy of sin and death and destruction of the evil one. And so it was a very different kind of kingdom and a very different kind of king, bringing salvation and hope and renewal to all who would trust in him through his sacrificial death on the cross. And so we know now even in hindsight as we look back many thousands of years that as we look at the, if you think about it as this one weekend of Palm Sunday and the next weekend of Easter Sunday and all the events in between, we know that there was disillusionment and competing agendas and people wondering even after the resurrection of who is this Jesus and what do I do with that? And so if we're honest, again, we... We come with diverse expectations, we come with diverse emotions, and we place our hopes and dreams and agendas on Jesus. And yet what we see in this story is that Jesus continually, he continually surprises his disciples. And he surprises us today as well too, if we allow him to. If we can get past some of the things that kind of cloud our vision of him, he surprises us because he's disarming And he's so different than any expected. And then Matthew, he goes on and he records uh, what Jesus does as he goes to the temple and he wants to go there and observe what's happening in the temple courts. So it says Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, The scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And he clears the temple courtyards. And he makes it a place of healing and hope again, as you see in verse 14. What's interesting about this is the Gentiles, they were relegated to the outer courtyard around the temple. They weren't actually allowed into the temple because that was for the Jews. And so the Gentiles were allowed in this outer courtyard. And so they couldn't come in to worship and pray. So what they did is they set up tables and they started to sell things. And they would sell, uh, you know, animals and, and things that the Jews could actually sacrifice as they go in to do their worship. And so the religious leaders of this day were being challenged and rebuked that they had set up a religious system that actually kept insiders in and outsiders out. And they had created many barriers to God. Not only could the Gentiles only be in the outer courts, but only the Jews could go into the temple, and only certain Jews could go into the inner holy of holies behind the curtain to really encounter and meet with God. And so there was these various barriers that they had put up and that were in place, and it was like these Jews had forgotten God's call through Abraham to bring the blessing of God to the people of the world, as it says in Genesis chapter 12. Well, Abraham is called to set apart the people of Israel and to bring the hope of God and the blessing of God literally to the families and the nations of the world. And yet the sad irony is, is, is what Jesus saw here was that these very Gentiles that they are to reach are literally on the doorstep Of the temple. And here these Jewish people are walking right past them to go in to worship, and they had forgot what their mission was all about. No wonder Jesus wept. And so, what a contrast to a week later when Jesus gives himself as the ultimate sacrifice, when the temple curtain is torn in two, when all can come into the presence of the Holy of Holies and experience and encounter the living God. Jesus is now greater than the temple. The temple has become obsolete. It's lost its purpose. Because we see in the weeks to follow that Jesus places his spirit within those who believe in him, who follow him, and who see their need for him because of their sins. And people are filled with the spirit that are now the temple of God. They are now becoming the temple to God, to be the church, grafted into this Jewish calling of Abraham to bring this message to the Gentile world. And to all who will listen. And that this temple wasn't just a place for insiders to gather and to keep outsiders out. So Jesus' followers are now to take this ministry of reconciliation to the world. And so we see in the book of Acts, the church is born. And this movement begins. And then there's this interesting and somewhat strange interaction that Jesus has with a fig tree. If you keep reading in this chapter in Matthew. It says, in the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem he was hungry and he noticed the fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs but there were only leaves and then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again and immediately the fig tree withered up. So the fig tree is unproductive. No figs at all. So Jesus casts judgment on it. And you see the condition of the fig tree relates to the people of Israel. The Hebrew people who had been called by God for a great purpose in the world, and the fig tree represents their spiritual condition and their lack of fruitfulness. Just as the fig tree's fruitfulness is a sign of health, so too is fruitfulness a sign of Israel's faithfulness and health, but it was not there. So Jesus cursing the fig tree wasn't just this random act of anger because he was hungry. It was a continuation of what he was seeing in the temple and in the people of Israel and their call as he entered into Jerusalem even wept for the city and wept for these people and saw these people who clearly missed the point. And it's this response to the fact that they had missed their calling to obedience to God in the covenant that they had had. And so we too are called to be those followers as people grafted into this tree of Israel, as it says in Romans 11. So for us, it's important to reflect. And just ask questions like, you know, what would happen if Jesus came to cleanse our temple and to examine the fig tree of our life? And you know, I'm not talking about the church building and that we can gather in a building now, but the temple of our life, both the temple of our life individually and the temple of our life corporately as the church. And what is the fruitfulness of our obedience? You know, when you listen to the words of Paul later on as he's writing to the churches and you see that this movement has spread out now and the church has been spreading throughout the New Testament and now Paul's writing letters to these these people that are out there in these churches and many, many Gentiles and he writes this word to Gentile believers and think of the difference now from Palm Sunday to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and Paul says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, you're members of God's family and together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. is that an incredible picture? You know, that's an incredible picture when you think of what Jesus saw in the temple on that Palm Sunday. And these Jewish people who had missed their call of bringing the blessing of God to the Gentile world that was all around them, even right outside the temple. And now Paul is saying to them, you Gentiles, you are this temple because the Spirit of God lives within you. Peter says it this way, you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. And so as we assess and as we reflect on that, we have to think, okay, where is there corruption and defilement in the temple of our lives that Jesus needs to clear out? Where is it that Jesus needs to help us return to our calling of obedience and fruitfulness? Fig trees are meant to produce fruit. Disciples are meant to produce fruit as well. By saying yes to God's kingdom invitations over and over again. Entering into discipleship relationship. Fueled by prayer and obedience and marked by very evident fruit. And so what would Jesus see? As he inspects the fig tree of our life, is there evidence of fruit? I think one of the things I would encourage us to see in this text today, this Palm Sunday text, is that Jesus can surprise us again. And maybe we've, for too long, just put our own expectations and our own agendas and our own kind of lenses on Jesus, and maybe maybe this Palm Sunday, like those crowds that were are gathering and worship him, maybe it, it is a day to just allow Jesus to surprise us, to surprise you, and to see him again for who he really is, that he is a very different kind of king in the kingdom, and to lay aside our own stuff and to embrace who he is and what he has for us. Let's pray together. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a different kind of king and that you refuse to conform to our agenda and the kind of king that we want to make you into. And Lord, I just pray that you would surprise us again today. I pray that you would help us to see more of you, to see you more fully, more clearly, that you would help us to lay aside our agendas and our perspectives more consistently and to just seek your face and your kingdom. And so, Lord, thank you that you are transforming us, that you're transforming us individually, and that you're transforming the church. God, you you radically changed the church in that time, and I believe that you're doing it here again today. May you continue to do that, Lord. May you continue to shape us and mold us more and more into your image, that we may walk in obedience, and that we may pick up this call to bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.